always making things new. Amen? And look, He's a God that doesn't get hung up in the past. He doesn't get too far ahead in the future. But God's working right now in the moment. So when you came in, I'm sure you saw a lot. But I want you to know we put these uh, coffee mugs there in your seat. We'd like you to take those home. And um, you see here, this is just the new logo of Capital City Baptist Church. And uh, we just thought that we needed to freshen up a little bit. So that is on the cup. And then on the bottom, you'll see pray, give, and go, which you'll see behind me. And we'll deal with this in just a few moments. But inside the cup, you'll find some mints. Those are so you can give your husband and wife a kiss when you leave. And then um, also you'll find a bookmark in there. I'd like you to keep in your Bible this is a message I'll preach next Sunday morning on the back of this bookmark. Uh, this deals with um, prayers that God always says yes to. And uh, so we'll look at that next week. That'll give you a little snippet for next week. And then also inside there you'll find a gospel track. And um, I'll share with you what to do with that later in the message this morning. Uh, just to kind of give you a little bit of kind of what's going on around here. Uh, you'll see there's seven flags on the wall, not counting the American flag and the Christian flag. These flags are the first seven countries of the first seven missionaries that we took on as a church. My favorite is Uganda with the rooster in the middle of it over here or whatever that is, a cross between a peacock and a rooster, and uh, that's my favorite flag. But these flags just are going to communicate to us every time we come in here that our focus is outward, that our focus is the Great Commission, going into all the world and reaching the lost with the gospel. You'll see also on the back wall up there on the top, you'll see go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, Mark 16, 15. We want, when you leave here, we want there to be a very clear focus on what our mission is. We've gathered to worship. We've gathered to be equipped. But we're going out into the world to preach the gospel to every creature. And then on the right side, Acts 5, 42, they cease not to teach and preach preach Jesus Christ. And we want that to be the culture of our church, that we never give it a rest, that we're always loving people to the cross, that we're always telling people about how good God has been to us through Jesus Christ. And then we'll get into what's behind me in just a few minutes. But I just want to say this. Thank you for everyone that has made today possible. Uh, there's so many people that pitched in, that helped, and those that maybe weren't able to help, uh, you gave. And I thank you for giving and being part of this. And listen, God has, praise the Lord, God has brought us together um, as a church to do something great. And so I'm excited about our time together today. And uh, I appreciate you, Brandon, and I appreciate you so much and your work and your commitment and your sacrifice. And I just want to say God bless you and I appreciate you. All right, if you got your Bible, let's go to Proverbs chapter number 29. Proverbs chapter 29 this morning. And uh, that's where we're going to take a verse of Scripture today and make some application to our life. Proverbs chapter number 29. And I want you to stand up with me, if you will, as we just reverence God's Word this morning. Proverbs chapter number 29, and I want to read verse number 18. Proverbs 29 and verse 18. Our Bible says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is 
he. Let me read that first part again. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you. You've been a good, good father, and God, you've been a good friend. Lord, I'm thankful that you called Abraham your friend. God, and I'm thankful today that we are not only your sons and daughters, but you've called us friends. And I just ask, Father, today that you would snuggle up next to each of us, that you would speak to each of us, God, in a way that our relationship with you will allow us to hear what you have to say today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You can be seated. This Sunday we have set aside as Vision Sunday. We're kind of relaunching the future and the focus of Capital City Baptist Church. God is doing something fresh in our lives and we're moving that direction together and today is a day that I want to bring everybody on board with what God's doing and put some markers out there in front of us that we as a church can work towards together to keep our mind and focus really on what God has called us to do. The Bible tells us here where there is no vision, the people perish. And so I want to just make some application of that, that we, as the people of God, we need direction in our life. Someone without purpose has no direction in life. See, purpose allows us to know our direction. It tells us where we're going. Purpose also allows us to know our duty. When we know where we're going and what we're trying to accomplish as a family together, it allows each of us to know our duty and responsibility. I can't tell you how frustrating it is not knowing what my part is and where I can jump on board and where I can be part of accomplishing the big picture and the big goal. And so I want to cast that vision today. I want you to know that vision is the ability to think about or plan the future with imagination and God-given wisdom. We don't only need vision as a church family. We also need visions as families and a vision for your personal life. We need to have these sit out in front of us. I want to give you just a kind of a a statement here and give you a little story uh, that really has inspired me and really has challenged my life. Um, As many of you know, Walt Disney was perhaps the most visionary business leader in the 20th century. I want to read to you a little bit about Walt Disney. Walt Disney was a man with vision. Before his success, he experienced heartache and failure. But he didn't allow that to stop him from moving forward and pursuing his vision. One of the things that impresses me the most about Walt Disney's story is this. He made a bold move. I don't know if you have ever researched this, but he placed $2 million at hazard. A huge amount, listen, in the middle of the Great Depression by making the first ever full-length animated feature film, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. You think about that. Walt Disney, who had failed time and time again in the middle of the Great Depression, a time like the world had never seen, he put $2 million on the line. What a risk that is. Did you know that to accomplish your vision, to accomplish what God has put in your heart, there will always be obstacles. There will always be a risk involved. 
Someone said the other day, Brother Smith, my goodness, during a pandemic, the, something like America has never seen. You're leading your church in a remodel. You're leading the congregation through a relaunch. It's probably not a good time to do that. May I just say this? Today is the day that the Lord has made and now is the acceptable time. Right now, we need to do what God has put in our hearts to do. And I want you to know this. I believe that God is leading our life and God is leading us to be active and involved and to do His work now and not wait for a better day or a perfect time. There'll never be a better day and there'll never be a perfect time. I remember when Brandy and I, we've done a lot of pre-marriage counseling and uh, oftentimes I say, well, when's the date for your wedding? And they say, well, we're waiting for the perfect amount of money. We're waiting for the perfect this. And I said, listen, you'll never have enough money to be married. You'll never have enough money to be a parent. You just got to go ahead and get involved and get active and God will provide. And so that's what we're doing as a church right now. And so just to say this, uh, yes, it's in the middle of a pandemic. Yes, it's in the middle of uncertain times. But God has called the church to be the pillar and the ground of truth in uncertain times. I just believe this. I believe in uncertain times, the church should be more certain than she's ever been. She needs to be a lighthouse that's set on a hill that cannot be moved to give encouragement and warmth and direction to a lost world, telling them, hey, we know what God desires from us. And that attracts people people to that. Let me just say uh, this morning that the world needs uh, the gospel and we must equip the church to take the gospel to the world. We must grow as a church and we must go as a church. This kind of captures the biblical concept of discipleship and evangelism. Discipleship is equipping new believers. Evangelism is reaching the world with the gospel message. The mission of the church is not one or the other. It's not, well, we're a discipleship-minded church or we are an evangelist evangelistic type church. It is both and. We must equip the saved to reach the lost. This is what Jesus did and this is what we are to do. So look, let's look today. I want you to see this. Uh, It's not pray, uh, go, give. It's pray, give, go. And can you give me a little bit of monitor? It's pray, give, and go. And that's what we are going to allow to become our vision, our direction, and it's my heart that that will become the culture of our church, that we're a praying church, a giving church, and a going church. So let's explore the meaning behind these words. I I love the map. Don't you love the map? It's a 3D map of the world. I pray every time that we come in that we have our minds set on the world. You know why? Jesus has His heart set on the world. And when you sit there for three or four hours each week. I pray that this becomes your heart, that this becomes your passion. Pray for the world, give for the world, and go for the world. That is what Jesus has left us here to do. Let's look at this word pray if we can this morning. Prayer brings us to focus on our relationship 
with God. Prayer is our fellowship and relationship with God. Did you know prayer is the result of a growing relationship with God? As we mature and grow up, our prayer life will expand. The natural result of a healthy relationship is communication. Did you know that communication is just the outpouring of a healthy relationship? You look at any marriage, a healthy marriage has good communication. You look at a healthy relationship with a parent and a child, communication is really the bedrock of a healthy relationship. And a healthy relationship with our Heavenly Father involves communication. When we pray, we're simply talking with God. I hope you heard that word. It was chosen on purpose. We're not talking to God. We're talking with God. Did you know that you can talk to God as a friend? Brandy was telling me just this past week that she remembers as a little girl, her youth pastor, he would just talk to God as a friend. It wasn't very formal. It wasn't with these and thous and cometh and hearest. It was a very, hey God, it's me again. I'm here to tell you about my life and I'm here to tell you how much I love you. Did you know that you can talk to a friend? If you need a friend, God can be talked to like a friend. You can talk to God like a father. You can talk to God like a brother. You can talk to God like a sister or a mother. You can talk to God. You can pray and pour your heart out to God. We must be a praying church. Jesus declared in no uncertain words in Matthew 11, Mark 11 and verse number 17. Mark 11 and verse 17. The Bible says this, And He taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? but ye have made it a den of thieves. May I just say that God's house is to be called the house of prayer. It's a place of relationship. It's a place of fellowship. It's a place where human beings can connect with God. And that's what God desires from us foremost in our life, is a relationship with each of us. Look, prayer must not be what we talk about, but it must be what we do. Prayer is the fuel of the church. Prayer gives life and animation and power to everything that the church is left here to accomplish. When Jesus taught His disciples about worldwide evangelism, He did not teach them to go first. He didn't teach them to go first. He told them to pray first. That teaches us in Luke 10 and verse 2. Luke 10 and verse 2, listen to how Jesus talks to His friends. Therefore said He unto them, the harvest truly is great. And when we look at the world and we look at the continents of the world, the harvest is great and the fields are white unto harvest. But the laborers are few. And may I just say that's still the cry of every missionary. That's still the cry of every Christian. The laborers are few. The harvest is great. But Jesus said this, pray. Ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that He would send forth into His laborers into His harvest. Remember, prayer is the call. 
relationship with God must fuel everything we do to reach the world. If we are to see the job of harvesting lost souls accomplished, we must pray. We must stay in fellowship and relationship with God. Let us rise up and pray as a church. Listen, work is important in the believer's life, but it comes as a result of relationship. Work is valuable and work is honored by God, but God says before you go and before you work and before you labor on a daily basis, be sure that you have a prayer life. Be sure that you're in relationship and communion and connection with God. I just want you to know today, God doesn't desire to use you before He knows you. God doesn't desire to use you as some tool. God doesn't desire to use you as you would use a shovel or a rake and hang you back inside of the shed. God won't say relationship with you. I just want to say this. Many of you have been used by people. Please hear me. Many in this room have been used by people. You've been used to uh, reach someone else's goals. You've been used or manipulated or taken advantage of. And so if a preacher or a Christian or a teacher says, God wants to use you, some of you draw back and say, I know what it's like to be used. And I don't want to be used by God. May I just say this? God doesn't want to use you. He wants to know you. God wants to know you in relationship. See, just the, uh, over this pandemic, we've been working around the house, building rails and driveways and gazebos. And my children, my children have used hammers. They've used saws. They've used jig, uh, uh, sawzalls, uh, circular saws. They've used all kinds of tools. But my children don't have a relationship with their tools. They have a relationship with their father. I just want you to know this today, that God's not interested in using you. He's interested in a relationship with you. I pray that the atmosphere of our church, I pray that the culture of our church will be one of relationship with God. That God is honest with me and I can be honest with God. And I can walk in relationship with God. When you see that word pray, I want you to hear God saying to you, I desire a relationship with each of you above everything else. God desires a relationship. May I just say this, the Bible teaches us that no one, no man, no woman, no child can come into relationship with the Father apart from Jesus Christ. Here's how the Bible says it, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus said that relationship is through Jesus. And for those of you that know Jesus and have trusted Jesus, you are in relationship with God. Don't miss that prayer is not a duty. Prayer is not to be a priority. Prayer is to be a lifestyle of relationship with God. It's to be a relationship. Let's look at this second word, give. Prayer, and as we look at pray, it brings a focus. It brings a magnifying glass on our relationship with God. Give brings a focus, a magnifying glass on our relationship with our fellow brothers and sisters. Did you know that giving 
is dealing with our relationship with others. Jesus teaches us all throughout the Scriptures that we should do unto others as we would have them do unto us. The Bible teaches us that we should prefer others above ourselves. That we should actually give of ourselves to benefit the good of our neighbor and the people around our lives. Did you know that the, the definition of love is to give? You remember what Jesus said in John 3 and verse 16? He said, For God so loved the world that He what? Gave. Giving is how we love our neighbor. It's how we are able to be connected to each other. When you see that word give, I want you to think about your relationship with each other. Other. We need a relationship with God this way. But listen, if our church culture needs to be a relationship this way of sacrificial giving and sacrificial love that brings unity in the body of Christ. Listen, to give is the capacity to bend or alter in shape under pressure. Elasticity, flexibility. Did you know that we are to allow God to bend our will to another? That we're we're to allow God to shape our lives on the potter's wheel so that our will may be bent towards each other. That we may yield so that others may go. We may yield so others may be elevated. We we may yield that others. We may give so that others can do what God... God has called them to do. Listen, the natural overflow of a healthy relationship, listen, is submission. Did you know the natural overflow of a healthy relationship is not only communication, but also mutual submission? That's the overflow of relationship with each other. No one is trying to fight for power. No one's trying to fight for position. No one's trying to fight for preeminence among the brethren or the cistern. Oh, isn't a cistern a well? Sisterhood. Nobody's trying to fight in power. It's the same way in your home and in your marriage. Healthy relationship leads to submission. Listen, I want you to hear a few statements about this. Submission is not submission... If demanded or forced. Did you hear that? It's not submission if it's demanded, commanded, or forced. Submission is the result of healthy relationship with each other. Listen, submission is a choice to limit oneself for the benefit and the service of another. Listen, submission is when I limit my rights and I limit myself so the others can be benefited. It's the way a healthy church works together. It brings about this spirit of unity from God so that we together can do the work of God. When we have relationship, when we give one to another, it removes all jealousy and all envy and all hatred and all unforgiveness because it brings about this unity. To give of oneself is a choice. 
Now, for a long time, I believe that giving was a spontaneous combustion of activity, Brother Paul, that God just zapped me with and I just gave. But I found out the longer I've lived that giving of myself has to be a choice that I make based upon my praying relationship with God. As we grow in our relationship with God, we get to know Him. And to know Him is to trust Him. Listen, trust is the root, listen, that brings forth the fruit of giving. Did you know that trust allows us to give? Trust allows us to give of ourselves. If I trust my wife, then I can give of myself without the fear of being taken advantage of. If I trust Brother Travis because of our relationship, I can lay down my life and serve him and wash his feet with no fear in the back of my mind that he's going to take advantage of me. See, listen, this relationship of trust allows us to give of ourselves. Listen, when we trust God, we are free to give without expectation. We're free to give. Listen, the work of God that we're looking at as a church is accomplished by the faithful stewardship of God's people. Our spiritual giving is key to the ministry. It's key to the work of God. And God reveals the condition of our heart through the way we give. Luke chapter number 12 and verse number 34. Luke 12 verse number 34. Jesus teaches us something here that can really shine a light. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart. Wherever you give of yourself, that's where your heart will be. Look, it could be that in some of your marriages that your heart's not in your marriage because you don't treasure your marriage. It could be that your heart's not in being a parent because you don't treasure being a parent. It could be that your heart is not in the work of Jesus because you don't have treasure invested in that. Listen, if your heart isn't in the church and her work, you can change that. How? By investing in the work of the church. Now immediately you're all thinking financially, why well, that's a part of it, that's not my primary point. It's giving of ourselves. Listen, invest your time, invest your talents and treasures here. Invest them in the work of the church and your heart will follow. You just say, Brother John, my heart's not just in church anymore. My heart's not in it. It's probably because you've not been giving of yourself to that. Listen, whatever you give yourself to is where your heart will be. And so whatever you're investing in, whatever you're giving to, your heart naturally follows that. Listen, don't follow your heart. Listen, your heart will follow your giving. Your heart follows your giving. You say, my heart's in all the wrong places. Listen, you can control your heart. See, your heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? But the Bible says that wherever your treasure is, your heart will follow in that place. Listen, if our giving to the work of the church is small, then we can count on the harvest to be small. Did you catch that? If our giving is generous, then the harvest will be generous. 
We will never see a God-sized harvest until we see God-sized giving. We must give sacrificially. We must give until it becomes oftentimes inconvenient. Listen, we can see what God can do if we're willing to pay the price by our giving. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6, the Bible says, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. May I just say this? You get what you give. You get what you put in. Amen, Isaac? You get what you give. You say, Brother John, I just don't feel like I've been getting much from the church. You may have just betrayed your commitment to the church. Brother John, I just don't feel like I'm getting a lot. Listen, you and I get what we give. When we invest in a garden, we get a garden. Look, I I sit around saying, well, I wish I had some produce. Brother Jim brings a few God-sized zucchinis. But I can sit around and talk about wanting a garden, but if I don't invest in the ground and don't plant, I'll reap nothing but weeds and thorns and thistles. Let me talk to you about three ways of our giving. Number one, I believe that we should give of our time. But I want you to hear something very carefully. God doesn't want to be our priority. How do you like what that sounds? God's not wanting to be your priority. But the Bible says that we should seek first the kingdom of God. Yes, it does. The Bible says that we should love God above all. That's right. But God's not asking you and I to make Him our priority as if we would put God at the top of a priority list. Because here, if God wants to be the priority, then how much time should you give Him? 30 minutes? Well, you give eight hours to work and it seems like work's your priority. See, God's not asking to be our priority as if we give Him a certain amount of time each day. Listen, He wishes to be our life. He wishes to be connected to us in relationship in every minute of every hour of every day in our life. He doesn't wish that we just give Him a priority list. He wants to be our life. He wants to be involved in every detail. He wants to live in every moment with you in relationship. He doesn't want a block of your time. He wants to be involved in all of your time. I was thinking yesterday, I was out at the soccer fields and I was watching the children play the games. I was watching Gracie play and John David and Candon play. and I was thinking while I was sitting there, I had this accusatory thought go through my mind. Oh, you really should be at home as a good pastor on Saturday studying for tomorrow's message. And there was a time in my life I would have thought that was God but not in this season of my life. Because I'm learning that God's not pleased with me when I make Him a priority over my family. God's pleased with me when I'm enjoying His goodness every moment of my life. See, as I was sitting there watching Candon play and John David play and Gracie play and whatever Haley thought she was doing, 
When I was watching them play, I was finding great pleasure in watching them play. And it was as if a gentle, gentle breeze of the sweet Holy Ghost blew by my way and said, John, I'm finding pleasure in the fact that you're finding pleasure in what you're doing today. May I just say this? God wants you to give your time to Him. You say, how much time? All your time. It doesn't mean that you've got to always be working at the church or cutting the grass. or all. It means that God wants to be with you when you sweep, when you mop, when you fold clothes, when you wash dishes, when you drive a nail, when you administer medication, when you, in every detail, God finds pleasure in your life. Uh, they asked the guy on chariots of fire, you know, why he runs. He says, I feel God's pleasure when I run. Let me ask you this. Do you feel God's pleasure in your life? Or do you think that this is your job and you can't wait to get to church? If that's you, I would say that you're not giving God your time. I want us to be a church that has a culture that we're not with God here and at work there and at the ball game there and hunting there, but that our whole life is wrapped up in relationship with God and God awareness and God consciousness that God is involved in every detail of our life. That's giving God our time. That's saying, God, my time is your time. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. It didn't say redeem Sunday morning or Wednesday night. It said redeem your time. How do you redeem your time? You allow God to use every moment in your life to make a difference in the world. Amen. That's giving God your time. That only comes from praying. A relationship with God in prayer leads to us trusting God and giving God our time. The second thing I want you to look at is giving God our talents. The Bible says in Romans 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Yeah. Listen, the Bible speaks about us giving God our bodies. And did you know that your bodies is where your talents reside? In your bodies? See, it's your bodies that have gifts and abilities that God gave you with at your natural birth. You have gifts and talents that God gave you at your natural birth. Some of, some of you have a talent to play sports. Some of you have a talent for photography. Some of you have a talent for gardening or landscaping. Some of you have a a talent for carpentry. Some of you have a, a talent for leadership or business. These are things you're born with. Some of you just, you, we have talents. Everybody has talents and gifts. And listen, God says, I want you to present me your whole life. Everything you have, everything that makes up you, everything that encircles your life, I want you to offer that to me as an overflow, as a gift to me, as a result of a trusting relationship. Listen, God has placed gifts and talents in each of us. Can I just say, I want you to hear this, that each of you, and look, I know we're living in a day where the entitlement generation has robbed these truths, but they're still truths. Each of you, every one of you, you're special and unique to God. 
God has made each of you special and unique just how He wants you for fellowship and relationship. And I know in our generation now, when you say that, it seems soft. But listen, God has made each of you in His image. He has fashioned you and shaped you. And He has given you who you are on purpose. Listen, God doesn't want to use you like some tool. He wants to be in relationship with you as you put your gifts and talents on the altar. Um, as you put them into action by serving each other and serving others and making the world around you a better place. See, God has gifted you and made you unique. See, listen, there is a belief system, we don't use this term anymore, antinomianism. John in 1 John was dealing with antinomianism. He's, this word antinomianism, what it is is that if you enjoy anything in the flesh, that God's not pleased with that. What that means is if you enjoy basketball, then God don't want you to play basketball. That's what an antinomian believes. If you enjoy fishing, then you ought to deny yourself from fishing. May I just say that God gave you those desires and they're good desires and therefore your enjoyment and therefore your life and you should never feel ashamed of enjoying what God has gifted you to enjoy. Yes, we can abuse it. Yes, it can become an idol. But that shouldn't make us back away from how God has made us. I remember when I got saved, I quit everything that I enjoyed except for eating and sleeping. Because I had to do that. I found out that God's not mean, Ben. He's not mean. I found out that God's not cruel and God's not wanting to ruin your lives and take away things that we enjoy. Listen, we have to get in our culture as a church that God really is a good God and that God really did make me the way that I am and everything in me is not evil. That it's not evil to love and enjoy things and have passions. That God wants to work in those things to change the people's lives around us. I started doing something the other day. I joined a softball team. My goodness. I tell you, everything just works a little different these days. But let me tell you, my first softball game I went to, the whole game, there was this underlying guilt. Underlying guilt. You're enjoying this too much. You should be at home studying. You're enjoying this too much. Somebody might need to be visited. Brother Ben and his dad asked me graciously to go play golf with them a few weeks ago. And normally I would have said no, but I said, you know what, God? You've given me an opportunity. I'm going to play golf. Because, you know, as a preacher, people say you just work one time a week. That's what they say. So I went and played golf. And they're pretty good at it. But I told Ben in the golf cart, I said, you know, Ben, I... Just feel guilty out here playing golf. He said, why? I said, I don't know. I, for some reason, I, I have in my mindset, I have in my background that anything that I enjoy that's not connected to the church, God's not pleased with. May I just say this? God wants us to give Him our talents. God wants us to give Him our life. And God is working with our talents, our passions, and our desires. And may I just say this? God even worked with me and Brother Ben and Brother Jeff on the golf course, if you can believe that. 
I left encouraged and strengthened in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, God does not desire that we not use our talents and abilities. He desires that we give them to Him and that He can be glorified in those things. When you think of give, I want you to think about giving your life and all that you have to the Lord and living to the glory and the honor of God. Let me end with this treasure. God desires that we give our treasures. Listen, we can see the vision and when we know what we're giving towards, we find it easier to give. The amount of money isn't the goal, but it's the heart of giving. That's what God's seeking to strengthen our heart in giving. Listen, money is the currency of this world and you must have money to accomplish things in the world. Amen? We have to. Giving financially is part of giving ourselves to the mission. Look, we can give our times and we, we can give our talents, we can give our time, but if we don't give out of our pocketbook, nothing can be accomplished. We have to give. It's part of the relationship with God. Giving of our resources. God is a very kind God. He's a very reasonable God. Wouldn't you say He's pretty reasonable, Brother Philip? See, God, if God owns a cat of a thousand hill, Brother Steve. He owns it all. In other words, my whole entire income, He owns. He gave it to me. And God says this. He's a reasonable God, isn't He? He said, I tell you what. You can keep 90% for your life. And I just want 10% for the mission of the church. Sure. Wow, what a, what a good God. I mean, he could have said, Brother Jim, I want 90 and you can have 10. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty reasonable. May I just say this, that I know money shuts people's hearts down, but it shouldn't. It's a way that we can express our love. It's a way that we can be part of the ministry and part of what God has called us to do. I just want to encourage you, give financially. If you've backed off of your giving, step up and give. If you've backed off of your tithing, step back up and begin giving to the work of the Lord. Listen, it's not necessarily that I desire a gift. It's not that I desire to have a bunch of money. It's that I want us to be a church that's involved together. I want to say this. For each and every one of you that have ever given, I want you to, you've got missionaries in every one of these countries that is before our eyes that are right now doing the work of the ministry and blessing the work. And we are able to give to that. Let me move on to number three. We look at pray, our relationship with God. Give deals with our relationship with one another and our relationship of unity. Go. Go brings a magnifying glass and go reminds us of our relationship to the lost world. It reminds us of our relationship to the world. Listen, I want Capital City Baptist Church to be known as a church of relationships. Relationship with God, relationship with really knowing each other, and relationship with the lost world. We see here that uh, the mission of the church is to impact the world through the message of Jesus Christ. The church must not hide from the lost world like monks or hiding off in our own places, but we are the salt of the earth. And we are to go into the world, but not to be of the world, but in the world. We're not to insulate or isolate. Listen, the gospel has enough power to keep me. He says, Behold, I send you out as sheaves, as sheep in the midst of wolves. You would think God would say, Hey, hold on, little baby lamb, little baby sheep. There's wolves out there. Stay close to Papa. No, no, no. God says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves.
Look, I, we're to be in the world. We're to be engaging the world. We're not to run from the world. Uh, listen, we don't get to pick which one of these we do. We don't get to pick, will we be a praying church? Will we be a giving church? Will we be a going church? Listen, all three of these are connected together. Listen, these words are not an activity. I'm not asking that we compartmentalize this vision into what we do certain times of the day. I, my desire and prayer is this become our lifestyle. That this become the way we live in our life when we're here, when we're gone, when we're there, when we're uh, wherever we are. That this become the, the atmosphere of our personal lives. That this just doesn't become some activity that we put on our list, but it becomes our life and our everyday living. Mark chapter number 16 and verse 15. And He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This verse is on the back wall to remind us when we leave that we're to go share Jesus with every single creature. We must be active in going. Coming to church isn't the same as going. We need to be expanding our reach, church. We need to spread our net. We need to stretch ourselves to go. Go is a word of action. And we are to take action to spread the message of Jesus Christ. Listen, there's a few goals and opportunities that, that I want to just kind of set out as markers for the next year for us as a church. Where we can be part and we can, we can know, okay, this is the task. I'm part of it. We're accomplishing this. We have to have measurable goals if the vision is going to have life. I was reading a story the other day about those that run a marathon. Did you know that in a marathon, the fewest number of people that quit are in the first mile? Did you know that? In a marathon, nobody quits or the first mile. Did you know the, where the second fewest number of people quit? The second fewest number of people. The last mile. Because they're tired... They're weary, and they're the most exhausted. And if anybody's going to quit, it would be them. But you know why they don't quit? They have a vision of the finish line. They know that they're getting it accomplished. They know they're almost there. Do you know where most people quit in a marathon? The 20th mile. They're tired. They're fatigued. They've got cotton mouth. They've got cramps. They've got a sting in their side, if you're me. And they know they've ran a long ways, but they know they've got a long ways to go and they've lost vision of finishing. And they quit usually in the 20th mile. Church, this vision today doesn't matter, but what matters is how are we going to respond in the 20th mile? How are we going to respond when, we get, when, it, when it gets hard and heavy and difficult and we've lost sight of the vision? Listen, we've got to have some measurable markers that we as a church can be working towards. I want to give you four of these real briefly. I won't make much of a comment. One goal that I have, a very short-term, immediate goal that I think is reachable is that I believe in the next year we can be supporting a missionary on six of the seven inhabitable continents. And we may send Brother Travis to Antarctica 
Just to preach for a week to the seals and the polar bears. Just to say, we, you can go with them, brother. Just to say that he, did, just to say we did it. You know what, can I, can I be real vulnerable? <laughs> you know, I went, to, I went to Ben and I said, hey, brother Ben, we got seven spots for flags. I, I want to get flags for all seven continents. And he said, Brother John, continents don't have flags. See, <laughs> so y'all didn't know that either. See, so y'all was... Listen, I believe in the next year that we should make it a goal to have a missionary on six of the seven continents. I believe that's a goal that we can work toward as a church. And the way we'll do that is we'll bring missionaries in strategically to hear about their mission on each of those continents. That is a goal that we're going to work toward. We want to be on every continent preaching the gospel. We want our, our giving and our time and talents and treasures making a difference on every continent. The second thing that I would like to see us work toward as a church family is I think that it would be a lofty goal that would please God that we as a church would plant another local New Testament church in the next 12 months. That we would do that as a church. And we'll give details about how that looks and how that works. But I know this, that I think that a church that's planting other churches is a healthy church. So we can be working towards that as a church family. Not as the pastor, but as a church family. A third thing that we're going to put out as a marker is that we are going to be more involved and visible in our community. Right now I have a meeting set up for the 18th of this month where it's going to give us as a church opportunities to be hands-on and boots on the ground in our community serving in a visible way. It won't be preaching. It'll be good serving. It'll be serving our community. We've got to reach our community. We've got to get out and make a difference so there'll be more coming. That should be a goal. If we look back in 12 months and we're not visibly serving our community with our hands and our feet, then we're not adding value to the mission to the vision God's given us. The fourth thing that I want us to set out there in front of us is that we as a church will be intentional about telling others about Jesus Christ. Now we've already begun that. We've already went ahead and began uh, being a forerunner, cutting the, the, the brush out of the way to make it easy way for you. But on Friday nights, by grace, there's been a group going to downtown Charleston and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, confrontational evangelism. That has to become the culture of our church. Listen, over the next year, we will pray, give, and go to accomplish these God-sized tasks. We will labor and work together for one end together. Now listen, if we come together in one mind and one accord for our mission, we can see God do something impossible. Look, God has given us all the right people and all the right gifts to accomplish His plans. I want to challenge you with a statement that I'd like for us to adopt. Just something that I think would be good for us to adopt. Each one reach one. I've got a question for you. Who would be your one? Right now, who would be your one? One person that you're going to pray for and seek to introduce to Jesus Christ. Inside of your cup, each of you have been given a salvationist simple card. 
What I'd like for you to do on the back of that card, I'd like you to write down on the back of that card the name of one person that you know that it's going to be your goal to lead them and introduce them to Jesus in the next 12 months. That's going to be your target. You say, Brother John, I feel like I don't have any direction. I feel like I don't know what to do in evangelism. There's too many opportunities. Listen, you write one name on the back of this card. You put it somewhere that you can see it on a daily basis and you begin making it a goal in your life to lead and introduce that person to Jesus Christ in the next 12 months. Let that be a personal goal. Each one reach one. Every now and then you're going to hear me say, hey, how is your one? Who is your one? What are you doing to reach your one? How are you serving your one? What difference are you making in their life? Take them to dinner. Do something for them. Love them. Share with them. And when they say, why in the world are you all of a sudden being so nice, say, listen, I want you to know Jesus Christ. Who is your one? I'll just say this, if you don't write it down now, you probably may not do it. Who is your one? Listen, there will be a great need for prayer. Brandy, God put a burden and a vision in her heart that we start a 5 o'clock prayer meeting on Sunday nights. I thank God for a wife that knows Jesus. She said, John, listen, God has put it in my heart a 5 o'clock prayer meeting on Sundays. What do you think? I said, honey, if God put it in your heart, Let's do it. So this evening at 5 o'clock, we'll meet here at 5 o'clock. Whoever can come and chooses to come. We're just going to pray. It's going to be nothing fancy. The altars will be open. We'll have some music playing. You come in. You find a place. You need to pray for our nation. Pray for revival. Pray for the election. Pray for the vision of our church. And so at 5 o'clock... There's going to be an open altar of prayer here. You come in, you pray, but I would ask you this, when you come in, come in quietly. Come in. This isn't a place to talk at 5 o'clock. This isn't a place to fellowship. You can do that in the cafeteria outside. But when you come in, there'll be music playing. I want you to come. You just come in. You find anywhere you want and you just pray out loud, quiet. It won't be an organized time. It won't be a led time. You just come and you pray at 5 o'clock. Me and my wife will be here just to pray. Listen, there'll be a great need for prayer. The battle is fierce, but the victory is sweet. The financial demands, they'll exceed our ability, no doubt. Listen, but we'll be stretched in our giving, and the fruit of our giving will last for all eternity. Every one of us will be called on to get outside of our comfort zone. But listen, when you see the fruit of your labor, listen, it will overshadow all the fears and doubts that we have. So listen, church... I believe it's from the Lord and I can already see it being accomplished. I can see it happening. I can see what God's doing. And listen, these are the greatest days of the New Testament church on American soil. And I'm looking forward to that. Tonight's going to be very important. Tonight's very important. I want you to come tonight with a serious Hard and serious mindset. Today, vision casting for our church, where we're going. Tonight, personal inventory and commitment from the members of the church. The invitation for this morning will be tonight. But I want to leave you with this benediction from Daniel 9 verse 17. 
Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary for the Lord's sake. May God bless it, and may God be glorified. Father, we thank You in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank You so much that in the midst of darkness, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of uncertainty, that You are still on the move. God, You're inspiring and guiding and leading. God, that tells me that You're not done with America. That tells me You're not done using the church. That tells me, God, that there is a plan, there is a purpose, and there is a God that sits in heaven that's working on behalf of His creation. And God, I want to commit this sanctuary to You, God. We commit it to You as a place of equipping, a place of encouragement, a place of teaching, a place of blessing, a place of prayer. And God, we ask that You would indeed cause Your face to shine upon this sanctuary. God, we love You. We thank You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.